1: behind the scenes footage and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org/podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an s. Thank you for listening and thank you for your support.
2: From KQED. Good
3: morning. This is the California Report. I'm Maddie Bolaños in San Francisco. Governor Gavin Newsom has signed a bill that eliminates the state's decades-old parking requirements for new housing near transit. Assembly Bill 2097 frees developers of those parking requirements for new housing and businesses located within a half a mile from a public transit stop. Here's Newsom in a video message on why he signed the bill.
0: Basically, we're making it cheaper and easier to build new housing near daily destinations like jobs and grocery stores and schools. This means more housing at lower prices, closer to walkable neighborhoods and public transit.
3: Environmentalists and housing advocates say this will drive down California's dependence on cars, allowing more people to take public transit and improving the state's chances of meeting its climate goals. Under the new rules, cities can still impose parking requirements, but only if the project negatively impacts commercial parking in the area or if it affects the city's attempt to meet affordable housing goals. In the latest sign of California's ambitious goals to reduce emissions, state air regulators have approved a plan that would ban the sale of natural gas heaters by 2030. Regulators say the move away from natural gas will mean more reliance on alternative heating technology. That includes heat pump technology, which is already widely used in Europe. Heat pumps rely solely on electricity and work by moving heat around. One drawback is they can be quite a bit more expensive than a regular gas heater, although incentives and rebates are helping to reduce the upfront cost. This week, the California Department of Public Health sent a warning to school leaders about a new brightly colored opioid that could be enticing to children. Federal officials say so-called rainbow fentanyl comes in many forms, including pills, powder, and blocks that can resemble sidewalk chalk or candy. The new warning comes as the L.A. Unified School District has unveiled a new plan to stop a recent string of student overdoses, many connected to drugs that were likely laced with fentanyl. In the coming weeks, the district will supply each of its campuses with the anti-overdose drug naloxone, also known by its brand name Narcan. LAUSD Superintendent Alberto Carvalho says the district will also be launching an educational campaign to teach students about the dangers of fentanyl. Not only do we want to effectively respond to this crisis as an incident occurs, but we actually want prevention.
4: And prevention requires far more than the deployment
0: of Narcan to our schools.
3: Among the recent cases was a 15-year-old girl who died after overdosing in a high school bathroom earlier this month. Now, just a heads up: this next story is about an adult topic. A bill is sitting on Governor Newsom's desk that would allow people who receive an unsolicited sexually explicit image on their phones or electronic devices to sue the person who sent it. Here's the California
4: Report's Amanda Stupi. Cyber flashing. That's when someone sends you a sexually explicit image that you didn't ask for. A lot of times it's a photo of a certain body part sent over text or a dating app. We regularly poll our uh, Bumble users and in 2019 um, one of those polls was reflecting
2: that this issue of lewd images was a thing.
4: (laughs) That's Peyton Ihemi, head of America's public policy for the dating app Bumble. She says once Bumble executives realized how prevalent unsolicited images were, the company helped pass laws in Texas and Virginia that outlawed cyber flashing. Now it's California's turn. A bill on Governor Newsom's desk would allow people who receive unwanted lewd images to seek recourse. A 2017 Pew Research poll found 53% of young women received explicit images they didn't ask for. If the bill becomes law, people who receive unwanted sexual images from senders over 18 would be able to seek up to $30,000 plus punitive damages and attorney's fees. For the California Report, I'm Amanda Stupai.
3: We're nearing the end of Banned Book Week, an annual awareness campaign promoted by the American Library Association and Amnesty International. And at the top of the most challenged book list in the United States is Gender Queer, a memoir exploring gender identity, sexuality, and what it means to live outside the gender binary. Author of the book, Maya Kobabe, is here to discuss it. Maya, in your book, you talk about this long list of books that encourage you to begin exploring these parts of your identity as a teenager. How important are these types of books for queer youth?
2: You're absolutely right. When I was a teenager, I was so hungry for queer narratives. And I was a teen in the mid 2000s. There was a lot less representation then than there is now. But I would pick up any book that had even like the tiniest crumb of a queer narrative or like the briefest mention of a queer or trans character, even if they were very minor in terms of the plot. And I think like so many queer teenagers don't necessarily have a role model in their day-to-day life. They might not have another queer person in their family or their school. And I think a lot of young people, myself included, are just searching for like what can the future look like for me? What can I look like as a queer adult? Like what opportunities are available to me? Or even like what kind of clothes should I wear? What kind of job should I have? And I think it's so important. For young people who don't have that role model in their day to day life, be able to be able to find it somewhere, and I think media is a really good place.
3: Mm-hmm. You know, as I mentioned, genderqueer is at the top of the banned books list. Were you expecting this kind of reaction? What was the initial reaction, and how has that changed over time?
2: Yeah, so genderqueer came out in May of 2019, so a good couple years ago now, and for the first two years there was no pushback on the book at all. And I am, of course, very aware that queer and trans narratives tend to get pushback. And I had braced myself for it a little bit, wondering if there would be, you know, like mean reviews or whatever online. But it really, there was absolutely none of that until the fall of 2021, kind of in the lead up to the midterm elections, when the book ended up in a couple of sort of um, school board banning, um, incidents that went a bit viral on social media and then seemed to start just this absolute domino effect of like one challenge leading to the next, to the next, to the next, until I almost couldn't even keep track of how many school districts and um, states that I had been challenged in. Wow. What is it
3: like having written the most banned book in the United States? I can imagine that you might have like a range of emotions.
2: I'm very aware that this has given me a platform that I didn't have before. And not all books that are challenged see a sales bump, but mine has. So I'm just kind of trying to use the platform that this has given me and the media attention that it's given me to the best of my advantage and speak out against censorship and against book bans, and in support of queer narratives and queer stories and queer authors and try to encourage other authors like not to write from a place of fear um, and not to self-censor before a challenge has even happened and to um, stay strong and realize this is just kind of like a weird side effect of our modern social media era, and just keep writing, just keep making your work. That's great. And what do you hope people would take away from reading Gender Queer? I hope that people will take away from it that it's really. Important to think deeply about who you are and to interrogate the things that make you feel free versus the things that make you feel confined, whether that has to do with gender or not. Um, I think everyone could stand to do a lot of like deep introspection about their personality and their life and their choices and not just get caught up in sort of just the flow of day-to-day life and do something just because everyone is doing it or because it's expected of you. So I really hope people read it and think about, honestly, just about freedom and also about letting go of shame. And if there's any sort of shame or fear in your life that you don't need to be carrying and that you could, in fact, set down.
3: That was Maya Kobabe, author of Gender Queer a memoir. Thank you, Maya. Thank you. And now to a preview of our sister show, The California Report's weekly magazine. As the Monterey Jazz Festival kicks off today, the documentary duo The Kitchen Sisters tells the story of an unusual premiere at the festival 60 years ago. It was a musical featuring a glittering cast, including Louis Armstrong. This was the height of the civil rights movement, and the idea was to challenge racism and social injustice and critique a U.S. government program that sent jazz musicians, including Armstrong and jazz pioneer Dave Brubeck, overseas without addressing segregation at home. And it was written by Brubeck and his wife, Iola.
1: And we started writing a show based on a jazz band headed by Louis Armstrong on a State Department tour
2: of the world. In 1958, Dave himself actually went on a State Department tour.
0: President Eisenhower sent us on a tour at a time when there was great conflict between the United States and Russia to help bring our cultures together. The Jazz Ambassadors, Duke Ellington, Dave Brubeck, Dizzy Gillespie, were chosen to go overseas on behalf of Uncle Sam. My name is Keith Hatchek, author of The Real Ambassadors, Dave and Iola Brubeck, and Louis Armstrong Challenge Segregation. These jazz ambassadors, who were largely African-American, were really treated like royalty overseas. But when they got home, they were immediately subjected to the same kind of Jim Crow. Oh, Mr. Armstrong, you'll have to come in through the loading dock at the Waldorf Astoria. You can't actually come in through the front door, even though you're playing here.
4: That was an injustice that really started gnawing at my dad. I'm Chris Brubeck, the third child of Dave and Iola Brubeck. My mom's reaction was to write the real ambassadors
0: before they left in 1958 on the tour they had to go to a briefing a very sort of officious man says when controversy comes up you head in the opposite direction you should just be smiling and playing your music remember who you are Remember
2: who you are and what you represent. Never face a problem, always circumvent. Stay away from issues, be discreet. When controversy enters, you retreat.
1: Remember who you are and what you represent. Always be a credit to your government.
0: No matter what you say or what you do, The eyes of the world are watching you. Remember. It begins by talking about Thomas Jefferson and Lincoln and the founding principles, but by the end, they're swinging and singing about Count Basie and Jelly Roll, what it means to live a full and good life.
1: Jelly Roll and Basie. Hell does invent.
3: You can learn more about the musical The Real Ambassadors and its unforgettable premiere at the Monterey Jazz Festival 60 years ago this weekend. Tune into The California Report magazine on your public radio station or download the magazine's podcast. And that's The California Report for Friday, September 23rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Katie McMurrin, and Seal Muller. Our producers are Amanda Stupai and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Alex Hall. Our interim director of news is Ki Sung. Our vice president of news is Ethan Poven Lindsay, And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm your host, Madi Bolaños. Thanks for listening and have a great day.
4: Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Hint, fruit-infused water in over 25 flavors like watermelon, pineapple, and blackberry. No sweeteners, no calories, in stores or delivered from drinkhint.com. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy includes Schmidt Ocean Institute— Coming this fall, the launch of research vessel Falcor 2, advancing the frontiers of ocean science and exploration, on the web at schmidtocean.org.
1: Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain,